The early years of your working life can be quite challenging because that's when you learn the mostly unwritten rules of the game. And unlike at school or university, there's limited support to see you through other than the networks you're able to build. I was lucky in my first job as I joined as part of a management trainee batch, so we had each other and many of those folks became close friends, not just colleagues. So we had a real support group. But not everyone is so lucky. Today we have with us Greg Yo, who's the founder of the One Foot In podcast that's focused at early career professionals and in a plot twist versus our normal format, he's going to interview me to answer the top 3 questions that new grads have about working life. So Greg, could you please tell us a bit about yourself and how you came to understand the needs and the concerns of new grads? Awesome. So, hi everyone. Thanks for welcoming me into this podcast. It's always fun, right, when I have the opportunity to interview someone and kind of deep dive. Uh, but it's quite interesting that in this case, I'm actually interviewing you for your own podcast. So, uh super awesome. Right. To all the listeners out there, hello. Hi, I'm Greg and I am the founder of the podcast One Foot In. So that's number 1, then Foot In. And that really tells the story of what is behind the LinkedIn. So we go around interviewing people and in season 1, we interviewed 16 undergraduates that made it to the jobs that they believe are their dream jobs. Wow. For season 2, we've actually interviewed not just undergraduates, we also interview people that are in mid to a late stage management for example the vice president of love bonito so a part of the exercise that we do is really to kind of deep dive and ask them about their concerns so uh, naturally as a result it's why i'm here today as well where i really know some of their needs and concerns and we're ready to quiz you <laughs> quiz me okay sure sure and actually your show is very successful right i think i saw it was number 2 in singapore careers recently yeah yeah that's that's incredible and that clearly shows that a lot of people are interested in learning about how to get into these kinds of companies and you know they obviously then have natural questions about the workforce and that's pretty cool i mean number 2 is something i would aspire to so when i grow up i would want to be just like you <laughs> so no this is the first time someone has said this to me so you know i'm just going to save this recording <laughs> yeah yeah sure i mean i i actually think it's an amazing achievement especially because i'm in the podcasting sort of scene as well right so it's it's not that easy to get to the top so so well done thank you so greg what's the mindset with which graduates in singapore come into the workplace and what do they think it's going to be like awesome no see i like this question for a couple of reasons mainly because it's so paradoxical right so most grads they really come in with the mindset that or rather they come into the mindset at two ends of the spectrum so a group of them would think that this company that they are applying for it's just a stepping stone right to get to somewhere else that they want to be which is where the other group of people lie where they believe that they have joined their dream company and they are here to stay right we oftentimes like to think that this dream company perception is the best scenario for anyone But what I've also come to learn through interviewing a lot of these people is that this dream company perception works against them because underlying there's a lot of mismatch of expectations when you see a company as supposedly your dream company. So to put things into perspective, right, one third, one third of these people who I've interviewed, they've actually left their jobs to join somewhere else. 
And these are the people that actually think that it is their dream company, right? So for those who stay, I would say that it's a bit paradoxical. For those who stay, right, they actually stay because they think, one of them would think that there is speed to promotion. And that's why they are going to stay there to really get it. The other group that tends to stay are those that champion work-life balance and hope that by staying, they can find more competency and be eventually able to bring more of life into the play. Okay, okay, got it. So actually, I think that's the nature of the modern workplace. It's extremely rare for someone to stay in the same company for a long uh, period of time. So one third leaving two different jobs is not really a surprise. And I think your diagnosis of expectation mismatch is absolutely correct. Even experienced professionals, by the way, often find that what they pictured is very different from what they actually end up doing. So, and that's even if it's their fifth job, seventh job, 10th job. So it must be a lot more of a dissonance for fresh grads. But you actually mentioned a few paradoxical themes. So what's that about? Right. Largely, I'll say that they kind of boil down into three big questions. So the first type of questions that they have is, while most of them know that the ideal scenario that you should leave a company is when there are more pull factors rather than push, which proves that they're not escaping something, right? But for them, they aren't sure how do you determine if there is enough pull factors, right? The second question that they typically have is how do you secure speed to promotion? And the reason why this is paradoxical, right, is because for those who want to promote, many a times, right, they would want to voice this out to their boss, right? They'll share with their boss that they want to promote. And the issue is that by sharing it with your boss, they'll have higher expectations. Right? And when the boss has a higher expectation, naturally, they would want you to achieve those expectations in order to qualify for promotion. Which I think for most people, they think that maybe if I don't set that kind of expectation, it'll be easier for me, right? So that's like one of the paradoxical themes. And the last one really is whether work-life balance is a myth. And this typically happens because many a times I think when you want to do well in a company, and this is really shared by all of the people that we've uh, interviewed as well, when they want to do well in a company, they tend to deliver great work. And every time when they deliver great work, it's always rewarded with more work rather than like rest, right? And I don't think anyone in the workplace really goes like, hey, you know, you've done great work, take one month off, right? <laughs> Which is kind of off. So for them, it's like, is it a myth then? Like, am I unable to achieve these factors? Right, okay. So I think all these three questions are good ones. And in fact, they're probably not even just new grad kind of questions. I think to an extent, these play in everybody's mind for um, pretty much, uh, well, maybe not the entire career, but for a pretty long time. So, so these are quite meaty questions. So which one should we begin with? Right. Let's just take the first one. So how do we determine when there are enough pull factors to really leave a company? Okay, so <laughs> pull factors. So first, I think I'd like to say that in reality, most people leave a company because of push factors. Because how would they even know of a fantastic pull factor opportunity if they aren't looking for it? And if they are looking for something, then obviously there's something wrong, which means there is a push factor. For example, they don't get along with their manager, they're bored with the work, they aren't getting promoted, they aren't paid enough. The work is too stressful and, and so on. I mean, many of the things that we actually touched upon already. And those are mostly good reasons to leave. However, having said that, 
if the question is instead how to evaluate a new offer then there are some obvious points to look at or rather what if you've got something then is there enough of a pull factor then i think there are a few things to look at so one is compensation uh, obviously then there's growth work culture and then the team and the mission or the purpose of that company so just to elaborate a bit more number 1 does the offer pay enough and for this we can add up your salary your expected bonus as well as stock compensation and you know in growth industries especially in tech where i've worked for some time stock compensation is a sizable part of the overall compensation and i find people in singapore and and in asia in general don't value stock options as much as they probably should cash in hand is obviously a good thing but stock options in the right kind of company could build wealth way faster than any amount of salary would so just ask the early googlers the facebookers grabbers etc so i myself joined uber actually on a pretty low salary uh, when i started but with a meaningful stock compensation and that worked out quite well so that's point 1 which is does the offer pay enough and look at pay holistically not just as the you know cash in hand second is is the company high growth and ideally in a growth industry so getting into a growth company will automatically accelerate your career because for the same effort you'll see bigger and better results faster so for example let's say in a slow growth company you manage one person then you know that will become two people three people after maybe a couple of years in a growth company you might actually end up managing 10 20 50 100 people in two years obviously that will put you in a better position than if you manage two to three people so again is the company high growth and ideally in a growth industry and when i say growth by the way i don't mean only tech that you know that's a bit of a misnomer now because there's plenty of industries now you know the changing world where you can actually expect the entire industry to be on the rise so for example uh, because of climate change you should expect to see very fast growing renewable companies or uh, very fast growing companies that are into agri tech or you know things like that so therefore look at industries that are likely to do well and then try to maybe consider whether you want to go into one of those industries third point is is the work culture and the team good so essentially and to the point of work life balance will you be working 996 which means 12 hours a day 6 days a week with no recognition and hating every moment of it or will you have a more reasonable work life and spend it in the company of people that you like whom you trust and whom you respect and by the way i also want to be absolutely clear that most companies that are worth joining especially if they are growth companies tend to have a more intense work environment so maybe don't go in expecting 40 hour weeks but yes you shouldn't be having 100 hour weeks uh, you know on a sustained basis either and finally the last point is around mission and purpose you could do good work you could be paid well you could be in a growth company but if you ultimately don't believe in the mission it's going to be very hard to keep going especially when things get more intense and stressful so if you have a choice of offers pick the one where you believe in the mission and the product assuming everything else works out right i really like that from the start you just address the elephant in the room which is let's not like dress this up into something that it isn't when people acknowledge pull factors they must be sparked by something that could be a push factor and really like first acknowledge that right so once you acknowledge that and then you can start evaluating 
right? Because this way also gives you the perspective to acknowledge and rather to evaluate the company that you're at, right? Whether or not it's really worth for you leaving. Uh, you also mentioned something. You said companies that are worth joining, and if I quote, said would have intense work environment and don't expect 40 hours work week, right? I think this is an excellent point for us to kind of deep dive on because one of the questions as well is on work-life balance, whether it's a myth. And from you, the way that you express, it kind of sounds like it is, right? <laughs> so, yeah, so I did say don't expect 40-hour weeks and I, and I think that is absolutely, you know, that's how the world is. And I say this actually for three reasons. First, we live in a global world. And especially now, like thanks to COVID and the accelerated work from home, uh, now that more jobs are available on a remote work basis, you're competing with the best around the world. So you may be smart, driven and ambitious and well-educated. But once you open up to a global pool, there are people who are all of those things and they are hungry to give it everything to move up the ladder to a better life. So you're competing with essentially the best plus hardworking. Second, as an early career professional who's looking to build credibility, you need to put in extra effort to stand out from the others. And by this, again, I don't mean work 100-hour weeks. But in a growth company, 60-hour weeks would be pretty routine. And I'm not advocating for it. I'm just saying that's what it is. Especially early in your career because, you know, you're the doer. So therefore, you're just going to get a, a lot of stuff to do. And finally, there's the learning curve. Every skill takes a certain amount of work to master and the more hours you put into it, the faster you will learn it. Having said that, and regarding the myth part of work-life balance, you shouldn't be going the other way either. So I for one dislike the entire 996 concept and also never really subscribe to the, what investment bankers tend to do, which is work seven days a week. So depending on your workplace, you could actually try a few things to get reasonable amount of balance. So I have like maybe three points that I could share here. So the first point is set a hard stop. So in my last job, I actually used to shut my laptop at 6.30 p.m. every day and only open it the next morning. And this forced me to prioritize my work to those things that I could complete in the workday, which meant less time wasted on unimportant things. And this is a technique worth learning early on as it will benefit you for your entire life, which is to figure out what is important and what has the most leverage and then focus on that and don't waste time on, on random, you know, busy work, essentially. Second is if the culture doesn't allow for limiting hours, like the company is just one of those places where everybody just works late and you look weird if you shut your laptop at 6.30, then maybe consider the distribution of the hours. So rather than working 12 hours a day every weekday, perhaps you could get home earlier on, week, on, on weekdays and do a few hours on weekends. Or you could enjoy your evening, but put in some hours after dinner, which by the way, many, many working parents tend to do. So essentially work for what is the workday, then take a break to, to have family time, friends, all of that, and then put in a little bit more after dinner. And that is one way of kind of trying to you know, control work-life balance, more like work-life integration. And last point, and this by the way, should, should be something you should always be looking at doing, but Work-life balance gives you a great excuse to do this. So find ways to improve, automate or eliminate work. Especially early in your career, you tend to get dumped with all the routine, boring stuff. And this is mind-numbing. But it also lends itself to improvement because things that are routine 
typically can be improved or shortened in some way rather than things that are more strategic and relationship building or people management kind of work that you tend to do later in your career so if you have if you're working on some process and it you know takes just a lot of time there are tools like zapier and no code tools or just you know look at the workflow and see if you can cut it and if you do those kinds of things then a motivated person could probably shave off several hours every week actually and therefore create much more work life balance than they would have otherwise wow god it to be honest right talking to you is always just filled with harsh truths <laughs> like, <laughs> like do not expect 40 hours work week right essentially in the places that many people aspire to be in but you can always strive to tip the balance of life in your favor with some of these tips that you are sharing If we have to flip it in another way, right? What about the people who are concerned for speed to promotion? Do you have any tips and kind of to address this concern? Yeah. So, first of all, promotions are a naturally difficult topic. It's not again, it's one of those things where early in your career you may be hesitant to ask about promotion, but you will be later in your career as well. And actually the promotion itself becomes harder and harder as you become more senior because there are fewer and fewer higher level roles to be promoted into so promotions are a naturally difficult topic but there's no reason for it to be a difficult conversation every manager knows that their people will eventually want a promotion so it's not some surprise and it is definitely something worth discussing so the question really is how do we broach the topic and for this actually i recommend a few tactics first is you should know when not to discuss a promotion so don't come up with this topic of promotion except maybe as like a general hey how does it work how do people get promoted that kind of question until you've been in the role for at least a few months and ideally approaching a year it's kind of weird for the new person to ask about promotion like 2 months or 3 months after they join and also don't bring up promotion if you're struggling in your current role because it will come across as a lack of self awareness because how do you promote a person who doesn't even know whether they're doing well or badly so that's point one which is don't get into it if you know it's not the right time second is assuming that you know that's not a, not an issue discuss the promotion as part of a scheduled one on one so you have time for the conversation like don't talk about it when you're just passing your manager's desk or something like that or catching them in the corridor so bring it up when there's a you know proper time to have this conversation and the first time you bring it up don't just ask for a promotion So you know you're having your one on one don't go in and say hey for today's topic i want to know when i'm getting promoted that's not a great way to do this so the first time ask what you need to do to be promotable so something like hey it's been you know a couple of years in my current role and i was wondering what i need to do to be considered for a promotion in the next cycle so this way you don't force a premature decision from your boss and that will rarely go well because no boss can promise a promotion without going through the whole promotion cycle however good the candidate so don't force it ask about what it takes to do it and then once you get that feedback take note of that feedback and start addressing it check in with your manager monthly or you know periodically during your one on ones to confirm that you're indeed progressing as she needed to recommend your case for promotion and when the time gets closer which means it's coming to the you know review season make sure you start putting in the other pieces that are necessary so first of all proactively take and address peer feedback so it's one thing for your manager to say here are the things you need to do to get promoted but you also need good feedback from your peers because that will count towards your review and your rating 
So proactively take and address peer feedback, get to know some of the leadership who will influence your promotion decision. And you know, once you get to know them, hopefully in a positive way, they will remember your name when the time comes up for your case to be discussed. Deliver concrete, measurable results that your manager can use in your promotion case and write a great self-appraisal. So it's very hard to make a case for someone when the case is just very fluffy. This person worked very hard, that kind of a case. That doesn't work so well. Better cases, this person was responsible for this metric and they improved this metric 20%, which is better than it's been you know, ever before. So that kind of stuff works very well. And I've actually covered some of these in a bit more detail in another Job Talk episode, which is episode 8, in case anyone wants to listen further. And last point, if the promotion doesn't happen, and by the way, in many, many cases, even if you're deserving, blah, 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 uh, there are reasons that the promotion may not happen. So don't get disheartened. You can use the time till the next cycle to build your case better. And not being promoted doesn't mean that, that you will be stuck doing whatever you're doing for another six months or another year. You can actually try to take on a broader scope and do more things and wider things. So you learn new stuff, etc. Plus it be- helps build your case for the next time because you're now doing a bigger role than what you were doing earlier. Right. I really like the last point that you've mentioned, which is the idea of don't get disheartened. It's also refreshing to hear this instead of some of the hard truths. Law. <laughs> I mean, you've been, you know, kind of hammering down. So on this point, I think I like it the most because what I'm learning as well when I'm interviewing people in like mid to senior management, we even interviewed this senior partner from Deloitte and a partner from Bain, right? And essentially, just chasing promotions wouldn't cut it. And the reason is because promotions at a higher level take a longer period to even happen. So I can imagine from associate to senior associate to manager, this is fairly structured. It's like one to two years, right? But once you hit a certain level of director, VPs, president, so on, the duration becomes significantly longer. And if you want to measure your success or like this joy that you get of the next promotion, it's just going to get worse and worse. So this is something that I that I really, really like. The idea of don't get disheartened. On this point, right, I also feel that we have a huge problem, which essentially is that you have answered all the questions that my podcast is trying to achieve. So now I feel (laughs) I have to close my podcast. No no more value I can bring. What the hell? (laughs) It's nuts. Dude, seriously, if, if people actually internalize all of these things, it's a different thing. But fact of the matter is, it's very easy to give this kind of advice. It's a lot harder to live through that experience. So even if I say that don't get disheartened that you're not getting promoted, if I don't get promoted in my job, I will feel disheartened. That is life. That is also human nature. But listening to all of these kinds of things or understanding from different people's experiences give you perspective. So even if you feel bad in the moment, hopefully you'll get over it and you can take a step back and think about how you can approach this, you know, the next time. And, and for a greater success. Makes sense. Yeah. So it's, uh, <laughs> that that's life essentially. Yeah. No, as in part, I'll say like part of the exploration that I'm essentially doing off for my podcast is to tell these stories. Simply, and the main reason why is because I have heard some of these, I've heard some of these points. For example, things like make a hard stop. But for me, some of the challenges that I have is like, I get that we have to do this. I also understand that at the same time, I need to acknowledge that when I start a role, I shouldn't expect work-life balance off the bat. 
I need to expect to work a bit, and then after that, maybe be an advocate for work-life balance. But simply because I'm hearing these tips, right? But I'm not sure how did someone else interpret it. It's part of the journey which I'm trying to pursue, where I'm trying to ask some of these people that have done this, and essentially ask like, at what point did they make this call on work-life balance? Uh, at what point did they go like, hey? Uh, maybe I can stop here, and maybe these are some of the tips that help me from point A to point B. But now, from mid to upper management, not really anymore. Right? Yeah, that's actually true. Also, like as as your career evolves, first of all, your problems evolve, and second of all, the things that worked earlier will not work, you know, later. And then you have to come up with new strategies. And then once you've figured that out and you move forward a bit more, again you have to come up with different strategies. So in fact, your point about promotion is is probably the best example, which is initially you might get promoted two years, two years, two years, like you said. After that, it'll become more maybe like three years or four years. And after a certain point, I mean, let's say you're reporting to the CEO. There's only one CEO, so I mean, only one of those people eventually will get promoted to CEO, maybe, and that also they might even hire somebody from outside. So a lot of different factors start playing at that point, and so as your career evolves, you will need to evolve along with it. But at least at the early stages of your career, these are some of the things that uh, that one can actually do. Awesome. If that's the case, I actually think that you've kind of addressed all of the questions that we have, or rather, the three broad themes. Maybe if I have more, I'll probably like hit you up, man. Yeah, yeah, and and this was a lot of fun actually, and it's really interesting for me to also hear about. The questions that people have as new grads or new entrants into the workforce, because obviously I probably had these questions, but now I've forgotten them. So it's fun to hear about this and to try and see from those individuals' perspectives how you know they could handle some of these things. And actually, I also think the session is important not just for new grads who you know may or may not learn anything from this conversation, but equally managers. Because managers will also now have a better sense of what their folks, you know, their new grads, new joiners are worrying about, and hopefully they'll find ways to address these concerns. So these individuals are happy and engaged, and you know they're they're happy where they are, rather than looking around because they're confused and frustrated, and then looking for a pull factor <laughs> somewhere else. So I really appreciate this conversation, Greg. This was fun. And uh, if any of our listeners, by the way, have questions for Greg, please feel free to click through to our website. From the episode description, so you can submit them, and he's kindly offered to follow up with answers or thoughts via a blog post. And for those of you who are fresh grads or early, you know, very early in your career, interested in learning how to get a foot into the hottest companies, please do check out One Foot In, one being the number one, where Greg chats with insiders to get the lowdown on exactly how to do it. And One Foot In, by the way, is a top-ranked podcast in Singapore and available, you know, everywhere that you might listen: Apple, Spotify, Google, etc. And speaking of top ranks, if you like today's episode, please do give us a five-star rating and a subscription. So, we so Job Talk and Amit Ray can follow where Greg has boldly gone before. So, so Greg, thanks a lot, man, for joining us today. Thank you. Yeah, and to our listeners, thanks for tuning in. We were Greg and Amit with Job Talk. See you next time. See you next time.